This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Health and Living with me, Lim Su An. Access to health is and should be a basic human right, but refugee communities are among several marginalised groups here in Malaysia that struggle to access healthcare services. Today on World Refugee Day, I'm joined by Dr. Sharuna Vergis, co-founder of Health Equity Initiatives, as well as Mehwish, who is a refugee and community health volunteer with Health Equities Initiatives, to share more about the work that they are doing with refugee communities here in Malaysia and how they're bridging this gap in healthcare to make a difference for individuals within these, uh, this community. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Thank, Thank you, you so much Suan, for having us. Um, Dr. Shruna, maybe you could get us started by telling us about um, health equity initiatives and, and why you set up the organization back in 2007. Right. So Health Equity Initiatives is a non-profit organization. And uh, my husband, Xavier Pereira, who's a psychiatrist, and myself, we co-founded the organization. And at the time that actually we were thinking of starting the organization, the refugee issue, it did not have the kind of uh, support that it has today. There used to be mass raids and arrests of refugees taking place regularly. And we did not have as many actors in the humanitarian space as we have today. So since human rights uh, you know, has this concern for the disadvantaged and we believe that universal access to healthcare is a human right, we saw that refugees were one of the most disadvantaged and we decided to uh, focus on refugees and asylum seekers. But at the same time, we also firmly believed in empowering communities to be part of the solution and of uh, developing sustainable programs. So actually our very first program, even before we had any kind of funding, was Mm -hmm. the training of community health workers on mental health. And it was born out of this vision of empowering communities. And so when we had consultations with refugee leaders prior to establishing the organization and they expressed the need for capacity building for communities on mental health, I mean, that's when we started it. The rest is history as the organization began to grow organically and we went on to add several other you know components to the program I want to dive a bit more into this this focus on the right to health because, I mean, uh, right now a lot of people are aware that refugees aren't officially recognised in Malaysia. We don't have a legal, a domestic legal framework to do so. And thus, that has uh, some impact on their access to healthcare services. Um, what have you seen um, over the years in, in doing this? What are the barriers that refugee communities face in trying to access healthcare? Yeah, I mean, you're right, because Malaysia is not a signatory to the 1951 UN Refugee Convention or its 67 protocol and doesn't have a legislative or administrative framework. They actually access to key public services, including healthcare. You know, it remains uh, very restricted. And when it comes to healthcare, refugee communities are subject to, as we know, higher treatment at public hospitals. But, you know, positively, the Ministry of Health has actually given refugees and asylum seekers a 50% off uh, foreigners' rates. But this is still unaffordable because, one, they lack the formal right to work and the majority live below the poverty line income. 
Uh, and two, the rates are still very high. And in spite of the 50% discount, for example, the deposit that needs to be put down by a refugee is about 35 times more than a Malaysian if they have to be admitted to the medical ward. It's more than 45 times uh, what Malaysians pay if they have to be admitted to the surgical ward. Uh, so, so uh, economic accessibility is a huge barrier. The second is that they are limited to receiving medication for only five days. And so this poses huge challenges, you know, for those who have like chronic diseases, they need to be on lifelong medication. So that's one problem. The other is that this lack of recognition of their refugee status and the application of the Immigration Act as per, you know, the law of the country, refugees are, and asylum seekers are actually vulnerable to arrest and detention. And so if you talk to refugees, you will see that there's a pervasive feeling of fear. And so since many of them have gone through displacement, disruption, you know, experiences of torture, trauma, these uh, symptoms, you know, they experience these symptoms uh, or sometimes there is a re-traumatization because of the security risks, you know. And finally, I think language barriers. Many are scolded and ridiculed and talked down to because they don't understand uh, the local language very well. Mm. Um, turning to you, Mahwish, you know, um, this is the first time we've, we've, we're speaking to you here on BFM. Uh, maybe could you share a little about yourself and what um, and how and, and, and how you became a, a refugee now living here in Malaysia? Uh, OK, so first of all, um, I'm a volunteer community health worker at HEI. Uh, and uh, mm, I'm from Pakistan. So my uh, father, he was a human rights activist um, who was imprisoned in Pakistan for four years uh, because of his work. And then when he was released, he was told uh, to leave Pakistan immediately. Like he was not allowed to work over there. He said, you're not, a they said that he's not allowed to work over there. So we were forced to leave Pakistan. So in 2013, the family started its journey and then we came to Malaysia and uh, when we came over here, um, our we completely uh, greeted by an entirely different world. You know, it was an unfamiliar world, leaving us uh, affected by the cultural shock. The shock was so huge that, you know, we couldn't take it. Uh, and then uh, we went to the UNSCR, we underwent the necessary procedure, and then eventually we uh, obtained our refugee status. But this uh, new font status presented us with uh, yet another predicament uh, because we discovered that as a refugee, our rights were severely restricted. You know, we were prohibited from working, owning a vehicle, and accessing comprehensive, uh, comprehensive health care. So this realization of distressing, uh, we we couldn't really help but feel that uh, we have made an error mm. uh, um, uh, by coming here. You know, we found ourselves indefinitely trapped in this situation. And so I guess then, you know, because you are a community health volunteer with HGI, I want to ask a bit about you, uh, what have your personal experiences been like with accessing healthcare services or, or maybe what have you seen from your family or the rest of uh, other people in your community as well? Uh, oh, yeah. OK, so I can share both the personal experience and from other refugee communities also. But uh, first of all, I'll go with my own experience. Uh, back in 2018, my father, he had a heart attack. 
So mm-hmm. um, it was late at night, uh, not very late, but we hurried into the hospital. We arrived in the emergency department. And due to the urgent need of the case, we were promptly entertained, immediately entertained by the staff over there. And I felt an immense sense of relief. I felt that, oh my goodness, thank goodness that we are treated uh, same as the Malaysian citizen. The staff member was initially he was displaying very kindness and you know politeness and when he requested the necessary documents for the registration and when i hand over him the unscr card suddenly his demeanor and his tone changed you know he instructed me to wait in the waiting area uh, i reminded him that just now you stated that it was an emergency and this should be treated treated as such as uh, why so, so sudden uh, shift in the attitude? Mm. Uh, and then he is, his response was very disheartening. It really, um, like, it struck me in the heart. Uh, he said, because you are a refugee, not a Malaysian citizen. Mm. So I eventually gave up. And uh, then I accompanied my father to the waiting area, who was in severe pain, by the way, at that time. he uh, His condition was very bad. And we arrived at hospital at 10 p.m. that day and finally we were entertained at 3 in the morning and doctor uh-huh. only prescribed the medication and sent us back home but obviously his condition was not very good so that required immediate attention so we were compelled to seek services at a private hospital we went to a private hospital that was my my own experience uh, but as a community health worker I come across numerous accounts of ref- from refugees each filled with similar or even more challenging accounts, um, um, encounters with hospitals. However, every time there is this one remark, I I often hear, mm-hmm. or most of the time I hear that, they are told, why don't you go back to your country? Why uh, can't you see that uh, you are not getting anything over here? Why you still choose to be here? Go back to your country. So this this makes me very sad. This is how people are uh, treated most of the time. Hmm. It really shows a lack of understanding of why refugees are in 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 in, a, in another country in the first place, right? It's not because you hmm. want to be here, but because you you've had no choice but to flee your home country. Yep. All right, we do have to go for a quick break now. Um, on the show with me today are Dr. Shruna Vergis, co-founder of Health Equity Initiatives, and Mehwish, a refugee and a community health volunteer with HEI. And they are on the show today to tell us more about what HEI does in bridging the gap between um, healthcare services and the refugee community here in Malaysia. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after a quick break on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su An. It is World Refugee Day today and on the show with me to commemorate this day are Dr. Sharuna Vergis, co-founder of Health Equity Initiatives and Mehwish, a refugee and community health volunteer with Health Equity Initiatives. They're joining me to share more about the work, um, the programs that they're doing to provide healthcare access to refugee communities here in Malaysia, especially when it comes to mental health issues. Um, and before the break, we were we heard from Dr. Sharuna about how HGI got started. Um, we've also heard maybe share her story about how she and her family had to leave Pakistan to come here to Malaysia, and they've been here since 2013 as they um, wait to be resettled in a third country. Now, Dr. Sharuna, um, 
coming back to you, tell me more about the activities, services, some um, interventions that HGI does to improve access to healthcare services for refugees. You know, can you um, share more about that? Yeah, so we try to bridge this gap in two ways. One, in terms of expanding the access to care services, to mental health promotion, prevention at the community level to preempt, you know, an escalation of distress to, you know, uh, to a disorder and having to seek secondary care, but also in, you know, opening up channels to uh, secondary care. And our work is largely in the area of mental health, but we also do public health work. So we just concluded, for example, a project with the Foundation for Innovative New Diagnostics Find, which focused on building the capacity of uh, refugee schools to control COVID-19 and to build their capacity for future pandemic preparedness. Uh, the UNHCR and MOH had supported this project, but the rest of our programs are actually focused around mental health. Mm-hmm. Our foundation program, actually, that you know we are very proud of is the annual training for community health workers on mental health because everything that HEI does is, you know, foundational to what we, how we engage with the community and especially to the community health workers. And this is a nine-month competency-based training, which trains refugee community, uh, you know, members on mental health. And after the training, they're able to identify, for example, signs and symptoms of mental ill health. They're able to conduct psychoeducation and mental health screenings. They're able to refer community members to mental health services. They're also able to provide psychosocial and translation services, you know, for those who require a mental health intervention. But I think our niche in the humanitarian space in the greater Kuala Lumpur area, you know, where we are located, is really to be able to provide refugees to comprehensive mental health treatment, mental health promotion and prevention. And this includes a community-based outreach and psychoeducation, facilitating psychiatric and pharmacological treatment. In fact, uh, Dr. Xavier Pereira, the other co-founder of HEI, uh, has been providing free psychiatric treatment for refugees, running clinics consistently every week over the last 15 years. Uh, we also have a multidisciplinary team of clinical psychologists, counselors, patient managers, psychosocial support officers through whom we you know, provide psychological behavioral therapy and interventions, psychosocial support uh, in relation to health, livelihood, arrest, detention, those kind of things. Uh, we have treatment adherence support, especially for patients with psychotic disorders, because you, know, you don't want to relapse. Mm-hmm. We also have support groups for patients, especially women you know, who are generally socially isolated to help keep them in remission. And uh, recently, we also completed a strengths-based, school-based project which promoted uh, social-emotional learning in a refugee school uh, in KL. And finally, we also engage in research and advocacy, and we uh, we have developed a health and human rights internship for medical students. Hmm. I mean, there's just so much that you do, Dr. Shirana. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, now that you've laid out sort of the, the foundation of what HEI does, I want to turn to you, Mewish. What do you do then as a community health worker? You know, where do you come in? How do you work with the communities in terms of, I guess, implementing these, um, active, these, these programs? All right. So first of all, our role is um, as a community health worker, as a volunteer community health worker, our uh, role 
uh, revolves around bridging the gap between the community and the service providers. Uh, one of the fundamental and widespread tasks I undertake is the translation. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I provide both verbal and written translations, assisting in psychiatric, in both psychiatric and the counseling sessions. Uh, so, um, additionally, I ensure the dissemination of informational, educational, and communicative materials by translating them as well. Um, I also co-facilitate uh, support groups with uh, counselors to increase the social connections for the participants. A support group is uh, a place where individuals facing similar challenges and shared issues come together to exchange their experiences offer comfort and support to one another. So I co-facilitate a support group with the counselor. Uh, Furthermore, we engage in community outreach efforts where we visit various communities to share our knowledge of mental health. Like, uh, you know, whatever we learn from our community health worker training, we we talk about that same, uh, those same topics. Uh, within the communities and then uh, we educate them about mental health uh, emphasizing self-care techniques and uh, teaching coping strategies mm-hmm. and um, our aim our basic aim like Dr. Sharon also said the same thing that our aim is to empower community members equipping them with the skills to support one another independently like whenever they need they won't need uh, someone like us mm-hmm. and they can do it do many things on their own so that's that's our goal that's our aim to empower the community when we talk about mental health, marriage, there's so much stigma and taboo attached to it, right? Do you still see that within the refugee community? How do you talk to them about it? Uh, well, yes, there is a stigma about it. And many people, they don't really um, talk about it. Uh, mm. The communities, uh, the people, they don't talk about uh, mental health because in our culture, I think it's in the in different cultures also. Uh, when someone is having a mental health problem, they are considered mad. They are called mad. They say that you are going to a mental hospital. That's uh, what uh, they are told. Uh, but then also, uh, the key lies in establishing a rapport. You know, mm. as people tend to believe what they for- witness firsthand, it takes time to build a rapport. It doesn't mm-hmm. happen overnight. And with constant engagement with community, HAI is dedicated. 15 years in collaborating with the refugee communities. And um, I think that we have um, uh, effectively built a strong rapport with the diverse groups over here. Um, these um, And these are the sentiments what people have shared with us. They really uh, don't talk about it. But uh, when uh, they come to us, we keep their confidentiality. Mm-hmm. That's number one. And then also, uh, we are the ones um, who psychoeducate them, who uh, health educate them, who educate them, tell them uh, that uh, this is nothing to worry not, It's not like uh, nothing to worry about. It's like something that uh, is not bad to share about. They can share. So most of the time, it's um uh, they 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 are worried about their confidentiality so we mm. we uh, and then there's a trust issue it does exist so with the community as there is a stigma about mental health it's a crucial ex- aspect that we prioritize keep we maintain their confidentiality and the trust is built 
because we provide them a spa- safe space to be heard. Mm-hmm. We provide them a safe place to share their problems. And we ensure that their personal issues are not shared with others. In this way, we strive to instill a sense of trust by actively safeguarding their privacy. Hmm. Was um, working in the mental health field something that you had experience in which before you started as a community health worker? Okay, so I had an idea about uh, mental health, but obviously I was not a professional. I'm not saying I'm still a professional, mm-hmm. but uh, I gained a lot and a lot of knowledge about it. Uh, like Dr. Sharna said that we have our uh, ninth month training when I joined and we in the end we literally get the uh, you know our marks we get the marks we get scored and we uh, we know what we did so i was uh, actually i was one of the highest uh, number scorer uh, in the training uh, and anyways yeah we we do that we get the um, uh, training and after the training i get more knowledge and like dr shona said we uh, psychoeducate uh, we health educate uh, we talk to people we know how to uh, keep the confidentiality we uh, Uh, know how to talk to the people, uh, to the patients. There are so many things that I didn't know before and now I know uh, after the training. So yeah, I gained much knowledge after uh, the trainings. Mm. How long have you been working with HEI as a volunteer? Uh, This is my sixth year. I'm working here since 2017. And I can say that these are my best six years. Uh, because uh, not just uh, I'm growing older, I'm growing uh, w- within this um, uh, field also. Mm. And I think that uh, maybe later in future, I will do something with the mental health. Um, like once I get resettled, I am sure that I will work. I will continue to work in the mental health field. Mm. What made you decide to volunteer with HEI back in 2017? Uh, actually, uh, when I was, uh, I used to go to uh, clinics and um, uh, obviously not just clinics, there are um, uh, other uh, interviews also, you know, people go to the UNSCI interview, people go to the other interviews and then when they go to the clinic, they visit someone, uh, they lack, uh, like most of the refugees, they lack proficiency in English, mm. you know. Uh, so, and this, this is a significant challenge in their ability to effectively effectively communicate and convey their needs. And language barrier is a problem, you know, especially in the healthcare sector where understanding a patient's emotions and concerns is vital. So, for example, if um, you are a doctor and I'm a patient and I don't know how to speak English, I won't be able to communicate well. I won't be able to tell you properly what I am going through. Mm-hmm. So you won't understand. Uh, me and maybe it affects my treatment also so that's why even though some individuals they can manage basic communication in broken English but they often struggle to express many important details you know so as a community health worker like I I said this before that we serve as a bridge a connecting Mm. and facilitating communication between refugees so um, I noticed that language barrier is a problem that needs to be addressed as a community health worker, I don't re- simply work as a translator, you know. Um, our role is um, like um, cons- requires constant uh, attentiveness mm-hmm. and alertness. 
uh, we help and guide them uh, to different service providers. For example, if someone has any problem, we tell them, we guide them where to go, uh, which place they can visit. Um, and um, like when I uh, when they approach me, I I think that my responsibility is F, uh, is F, is as I am addressing my own needs. You know, I empathize with their experiences, uh, placing myself in their shoes. So I think that helps me to um, uh, serve them better. Hmm. Dr. Sharuna, in having been been doing this through HEI since 2007, how much has the landscape changed in terms of closing the gaps when it comes to access, uh, accessibility to healthcare for refugees? How much have you been able to close that gap and, and what, what still remains a big challenge? I think, um, you know, there are definitely more players in the, you know, in the current setup. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think what we didn't have at that time was this 50% off the foreigners aids. But at that time, you know, refugees were also receiving the subsidized health care. So things have changed for the better and for the worse. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the uh, the the risk, the limitations in that we are experiencing in the Malaysian health system in terms of the provision of healthcare services, you know, to everybody here, as well as the specific constraints that refugees experience because they have no legal protection, no legal status. I think that continues to, you know, exacerbate the access to uh, healthcare services. I would say that in terms of, you know, the uh, disposition towards refugees, on the one hand, while there is, you know, much greater support than 15 years ago, we also see that the xenophobia and the hate speech, you know, continues to prevail. Um, and I think we are all we continue to see refugees coming from you know diverse uh, countries. So there is still a lot to be done, and definitely you know more room for people to contribute to volunteer. Mm. Speaking of the xenophobia and hate speech, what have you seen, Mahesh, in terms of how it's affected um, the the lives of refugee community in in Malaysia? The challenges related to uh, legalities and xenophobia surpassed with an average person might imagine. Mm -hmm. You know, for instance, when COVID reached Malaysia, a widespread misconception arose that refugees are the primary carriers of the virus. Mm -hmm. uh, And they are the ones who are spreading it everywhere. And then there was another, some more misconceptions. Another is that uh, associating refugees with uncleanliness and various diseases. Recently, I was uh, reading an article where it was said that we need to teach them how to keep themselves clean. And then there's this perception that um, we are here to snatch the job opportunities from mm-hmm. Malaysians. And um, um like uh, we came from very poor areas where we lived in an inadequate uh, conditions and maybe we were living in huts or very limited amenities. You know, while this may be true in some cases, of course, there are some people who really come from those places, but it does not represent the entirety of the refugee population. It doesn't mean that everybody comes from those places. Uh, and then moreover, there's a prevailing uh, notion that refugees should only be assigned menial jobs. Mm-hmm. I know um, I have been um, like I, I worked um, 
I'm here for 10 years and uh, whenever I go and look for a work, I'm always offered something that is a um, cleaning job or something like this, you know, because they said, because you are a refugee, that's all you can do. Mm. Or, and then we are, we should be confined to uh, refugee camps. Um, and then there's uh, obviously there is a fear of arrest and detention. And I'll tell you what, this is very important. I think I need this needs to be addressed. I've heard stories of local children extorting money from refugees. Wow. Children, children extorting money from refugees, which is detrimental to both parties. This raises a very important questions that why are they, where are they learning from this? Like who, why this, uh, why such behavior? Mm-hmm. Maybe someone is talking about it at home like if you just uh, ask them for money they'll do anything because uh, they're scared or else we'll go to the police you know these kind of things so I think this is uh, very unhealthy so yeah Mm. You know, all of that said, we, I was reading up about this year's um, theme for World Refugee Day and it says um, it is hope away from home, a world where refugees are always included. Now, we know that that is such a huge challenge when it comes to refugee communities across the world. There are issues with discrimination, um, with lack of inclusion everywhere, and, and that is especially so here in Malaysia. Um, I'll start with you, Mewish. What changes would you like to see um, to improve the, the the quality of life for refugees here in Malaysia, for our communities to be more accepting and inclusive towards people from diverse backgrounds. All right. Okay. So, uh, like, uh, our World Refugee Day is very near and our theme this year is um, Hope Away From Home. Mm-hmm. So I think that, in my opinion, the theme itself uh, conveys a very, very powerful message. Um, this highlights the importance of promoting improved healthcare, job opportunities, access to education for refugees, which is very, very important. Um, like it envision this itself is very, very good message, a powerful message. It envisions a place where everyone can fully enjoy their rights. Mm-hmm. Refugees have already endured significant hardships, you know, in their home countries. And when they arrive in a new country, uh, they may encounter different challenges. It is essential that refugees have access to fundamental rights and support to help them rebuild their lives and contribute to the society. Like if we are... Um, I won't say well-established, but if we are um, living good, we can contribute to the society. We can contribute to the progress of this country. Mm. Dr. Sharuna, what about from your perspective? What policy changes would you like to see? Um, I think definitely an inclusive policy mm-hmm. where the access to healthcare is an inclusive one. It's universal because it not only respects rights, but it is also good public health. Protects host and you know the refugee communities also from you know disease and protecting their health. That they have the ability to support themselves to be able to work. I think that's critical. It's part of a lot of stress they experience. That children are able to attend mainstream schools so that they are able to live you know purposeful lives. But really, I think over and above that, my message would be one of compassion. Because I think compassion and kindness towards every human being 
is so important, especially the most marginalized in our society. And the way we treat the weakest really reflects the kind of people we are. And refugees, they are among the most marginalized. They've had to, you know, uproot themselves from their homes, their families, you know, their money, property. They've lost their citizenship. They've lost their identity. They've lost their bonds of kinship. And I think, you know, being compassionate towards them helps us self-actualize as persons. And when we, you know, fail to show that compassion for those who are suffering, we and when we deny them of their humanity, when we strip them of their humanity, we actually dehumanize ourselves. And that's a black hole we spiral into as human beings and as a society. So that would really be my message, more kindness, more compassion. Hmm. And um, how can people support what HEI does if they are interested in finding out more? Um, well, you can reach our website, which has the details to contact us. So that's www.healthequityinitiatives.com. Mm. All right. And to um, round up, uh, and, and you already had a very wonderful message, Dr. Sharuna. And what about you, Mewish? What message would you have for Malaysians out there who are listening to this? So my uh, first of all, I like to thank Malaysians uh, for welcoming us into their country because I understand that it may not be easy to accept strangers in your home and your communities because I came from Pakistan and Pakistan is a host of very large number of Afghan refugees. Um, and I know being uh, when uh, in my when I was in Pakistan, my friends used to say, oh, these people have polluted our country. We don't like these people. And luckily, luckily, I never said anything bad about them. And uh, now I, I when I think about that time, I thank God that I never said anything bad about it, because at that time, I never ever in my mind have thought about being a refugee. I did not know that one day I'll be a refugee. Mm. So my, um, uh, like, I, I urge you to consider this scenario. If Malaysia were to face a natural disaster or a crisis and you are forced to take refuge in another country and then you are treated the same way right now, the refugees are treated over here, would you feel comfortable or uh, would you uh, like it when they are told they tell they tell you to go back to your country when there is nothing left for you over there? Mm. So that's number one. Number two is um, that uh, it is important to understand that we as a refugee we are not here to take away from your job take away your job opportunities. We are not here to invade your country. We have sought refuge over here. Uh, because our lives were in danger back in our home countries. We are not economic migrants, but we do need to work in order to sustain ourselves while we are here. So please see us as potential contributors uh, and helping hands to your society. And third and last is we have no control over how long we will be here. And this depends only upon uh, the UNSCR and the potential third country that may accept us. However, in the meantime, we are ready and willing to assist Malaysia by working here. And let us work together for the betterment of our communities and uh, both communities, actually. Thank you so much for that, Mehwish, and, and to Dr. Sharuna as well, to both of you for joining me on the show today. 
Thank you so Thank much you. for having us. I've been speaking to Dr. Sharuna Vargas, co-founder of Health Equity Initiatives and Mehwish, a refugee community health volunteer with HEI, this World Refugee Day. If you missed any part of today's show or any previous Live and Learn episodes, you can download our podcast on bfm.my or on the BFM app. I'm Lim Suen and this has been Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.